Hey, everybody. Good to have you back. It is... It is a Tuesday night. It is the 23rd day of the month of May. Someday, maybe in May. 23rd of May. 23rd day of the new millennium. 23rd year of the new millennium. I don't know, the years feel like days these days, so I guess that's not totally off base. But welcome to the show. Uh, We have a a little bit of a shorter engagement tonight, though it's not going to be as short as I thought. Um, because the guys of the band, they're going to be getting here a tad bit late. So I think I'm going to be able to take on at least a, a good 20 minutes of calls at the end. And there's plenty to call in about because Nor Bin Laden is coming on to talk about some, some pretty big Great Reset pushes. Especially on the topic of centralized surveillance collection, uh, surveillance and data collection, um... I've been waiting to talk about this one story that I saw a little while ago about the new systems that they're rolling out in Ukraine, which is obviously just a market test for us over here domestically. Have a good time with that. And I mean, there's just so much going on low key uh, this this week. And, you know, by the, the, the time we hit the halfway point, I think that'll be well articulated because I want just to take calls and just gauge reaction and see what people are thinking as we head into the middle of the week. We are going to do, uh, I don't know what we're, what's on tap for tomorrow night, but Thursday night will be pretty good. We have Sam Tripoli coming on. I'm working on a, a pretty cool guest for tomorrow night that I think a lot of you will really uh, enjoy. But no confirmation on whether it's going to be tomorrow or late June. We'll see. But I'm not going to say anything else because I have a tendency of getting way too excited and wanting to tell you guys everything. And then all of a sudden something has to get changed or uh, altered in some way. And then we all feel let down. Nobody more so than me. I always let myself down by sharing too much for all my plans. It'll get there eventually. So that's what we have tonight. We're going to be doing a little bit of around the horn and some global issues, which will trickle down into domestic as well. But Noor Bin Laden is going to be joining us in a little while, and that's great because it is very late where she is in Switzerland. And um, and we have, to be, we have to be grateful that somebody out there would actually brave the late night the late night, uh, the third, the, the third shift for me. But I know we have quite a few of you late night warriors that watch the show live, especially Jerry and the Scots. I know we have a couple of late night warriors out there in the rest of the UK and who knows where else. Anyway, thank you for joining. All right, so that's what I have. Oh, Monday. I got to just say Monday the 29th, this one coming up. It's Memorial Day, and I forgot all about it. We're taking Memorial Day off. Perhaps I'll do some kind of a back porch stream at the end of the night if it's uh, if all goes well. But we'll get right back into the swing of things on Tuesday the 30th. Rich Barris will be on for his monthly spot. Plenty to talk about with him. 
That is uh, the CNN town hall. I want to see how that hit with people. The Durham report. I want to see how that hit with people. There's many other things. Rich and I never have any problem filling up an hour. So that's going to be wonderful. The next day, May 31st, Mel K is not only going to be on the show, she'll be in studio. And then the day after that, I don't know what we're doing on June 1st just yet, but I know that on the uh, on the, the, the flip side of the 7 o'clock show, it's going to be book club session number one. Book club session number one. Next week, I will give uh, chapter assignments, and it'll be nice. That's with Charlie Robinson. He's going to be co-hosting Shoeless Joe, the reading of Shoeless Joe with me. We'll have a good time, all right? And June is really shaping up to be something special. I can't wait until John Doyle comes back. That'll be fun. Catch up with John. He's not little John anymore. No, he's his own man now. All right. All right. Now into the grab bag we go. And I have to jump into this one because um, I had mentioned it on Dark to Light, I think on Monday. But the Los Angeles Dodgers, I mean, obviously this is a a league-wide thing. Uh, Major League Baseball is as knee-deep in these ESG kind of DEI movements. As I've said many times before, and I'll continue to say it, whenever a corporation, any, no, no matter how small, how big, whenever they have gone into that deep end of the crazy pool and they bring on a diversity officer, it's done. It's done. It may be able to hang around. It may have like a, it may be able to bankroll itself for another 75 years. But as far as its connection with a broad general audience, it is done. They have cast their lot with a very specific group of people. And eventually, eventually, their, uh, the, their, their machinations will get way too much, way too obnoxious, way too in your face for anybody to be able to ignore it for long. The Los Angeles Dodgers, they were going to bring on this uh, drag these cross-dressers called the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. They're a bunch of guys that dress up in drag, but more specifically, they dress up as members of clergy, nuns, and the Los Angeles Dodgers were going to bring them on for a June 16th engagement, and then they had major backlash. A lot of people said, no, we don't want this, and they canceled the event. Like any, you know, conscious, aware organization would do when they feel the heat from people out there. But then, of course, the um, the cross-dressers pull, uh, pushed back, and now the Dodgers, they have not only brought them back on for this sacrilege, but they have issued an apology. After much thoughtful feedback from our diverse communities, There's that word again, communities. Honest conversations within Los Angeles Dodgers organization and generous discussions with the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. The Los Angeles Dodgers would like to offer our sincerest apologies to the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence, members of the LGBTQ plus community, and their friends and families. We have, this is like watching Silas from the Da Vinci Code whip himself. Oh, I should have had that clip ready for tonight. Oh. Damn it. We have asked the Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence to take their place on the field 
of our 10th annual LGBTQ Pride Night on June 16th. We are pleased to share that they have agreed to receive the gratitude of our collective communities for the life-saving work that they have done tirelessly for decades. Incredible, incredible. And if you go to the sisters website, it's filled with stuff like this. Hold on a second. I, I, I uh, in particular, I love this one here. Where we got, here we go, look at this. The sisters are not an anti-Catholic, but an, an organization based on love, acceptance, and celebrating human diversity. To be condemned by representatives of the Catholic Church is particularly ironic, given that the organization's long history of condoning and concealing the sexual abuse of children. See, that? I love that part. We're not anti-Catholic, but yes, we are vehemently anti-Catholic, and we are going to flaunt and taunt it. Uh, but the only thing, of course, with this line of thinking, especially coming from the, the, the it's being ironically spewed by the sisters of indulgence or whatever. Yes, the the yes, the Vatican has been infested by the same darkness that empowers your charade. That's the entire thing here. You are not different from that. There is a reason why seminaries have long since become breeding grounds of not only rampant homosexuality, but deeper inside the circles of influence you go, it's pure satanic ritual abuse, feminism, witchcraft. All right, we're, we're talking about deep shit, shit that they love that they have taken and they have turned into fashion statements. And as bad as that inf infiltration was for the church, it does not hold a candle to the abuse suffered by children in the public school system. But you know, the, the devil wrote this open letter over here using, again, one of its biggest, uh, one of the biggest churches that he captured as a shield against criticism. And then, and then even pivots over here to gun violence and, and global warming, because this is all political militancy. It's a statistical fact that children are less at risk in the company of drag queens than clergy. I would love to see where the statistics are on that. Especially since most of the drag queens are probably abused children. Yet the LGBTQ communities are consistently targeted by the right because it's easier to foment fear the unfamiliar than to take hard look at very real threats ranging from gun violence to global warming, which is bullshit. Which is bullshit. You know, it, it takes a bipartisan cultural approach to really allow this to get to the point where it has been. Because for a good part of my childhood, when this was really becoming more and more comfortable out there, it was, all right, live and let live. You do your thing, we do ours. And, and, and let's, we don't have to mix this. We don't have to talk about our bedroom habits. We don't have to talk about any of that stuff. We're so far beyond, the pendulum has swung so far beyond that into a, a, a militant supremacy kind of a movement, which of course can never, it's not really very, it's becoming more and more proud and boastful Okay, they're still using, they're still gaslighting a lot more, still with the mind tricks, still to play victim when, of course, they are the clear abuser at this point. And then I love this part. Do not let people who hate us all decide that some parts of our community are more tolerable than others, that some shall be seated at the table while others are locked out. I love that. I love that part. I love that. The gaslighting degenerates. Man, I tell you, I feel like every year 
the sweaty genitals of a demonic sex cult inches closer and closer to our faces, and all the while, we hear the same things. Things like, everyone deserves a seat at the table. No, not everybody does. And, and what table? Again, what table? What imaginary table? Is this like all the imaginary communities, the imaginary social contract? Everyone's a part of some non-existent community? I, I would love to know. They, they put this imagery in your head, and if you hear it long enough, you adopt it as an actual thought. You adopt these communities, these tables, as actual places, peoples, places, things. They're, like, they speak them into existence in people's minds. It's all imaginary. But there's a difference between different types of people, Muslim, Jews, Christians, black, white, man, woman, young, old, gay, straight, whatever the hell it is, having a Sunday dinner together. I have pretty diverse amount of people. I don't have any, I don't think I have any Muslims in my life. I have in the past, but I mean, you know, a, a Sunday at my house, is very, very diverse, very diverse. Uh, from, from the most shallow of standpoints, of course, that means nothing to people who are actually worth hanging around, who aren't taking account of everybody's genitalia, they're not taking account of how many uh, blacks and whites and yellows and browns are in the room, you know, putting the tally down. People who really don't obsess over superficial nonsense like that, those are the people you want to hang out with. At that point, it doesn't matter how many black people are in a room or white people in a room. You're just in a room with, with people who, are, who can hang and have a good time. But it doesn't matter how different the types of people are. There's no difference between that if you're having a Sunday dinner or showing up at a barbecue or going to a baseball game without pretense. That's the whole point. That's the real, that's the real great thing about living in a free and somewhat equal society it's just it's being able to act and go out there and live without pretense and without this constant harping on victim and oppressor and who needs to be up the social stack a little bit more who's up there on the hierarchy who needs to pay dues to whom it's like when you're waiting online when you're waiting online to buy yourself a $20 Dodger dog at Dodger Stadium you don't know anything about the people around you and how they live their lives. You probably all live vastly different lives or you could be standing next to a ready-made best friend if you only had the courage to strike up a conversation. You just never know. And that's the whole point. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at that point because literally everybody has a seat at the table. You could be on that line at Dodger Stadium buying your hot dog and you can be any color, you can have any preference in your bedroom, whatever the hell it is, and nobody knows, nobody cares. And that's the whole point. The table is the hot dog line at the ballpark. There's nobody cares about your private life. They only care about whether or not you can pay for the hot dog. That's it. And that's not the case. That's not the case when you have to make room at the table for a politically militant band of sex clowns who show up dressed as clergy if they're dressed at all. And of course, they would never dress as an imam. They would never dress as an imam. They'd go home without a head. But that's another story. So all these people sitting around at this hypothetical table online for the Dodger dog, they aren't being praised for their kinks. 
because nobody knows about them. Because we are all, for the most part, regardless of where you come from, if you're normal, if you just have a normal, easygoing mindset, you're just living life as meekly as possible, and you don't have this burning need to be praised, and you're not on a crusade of your own, even though you you uh, you accuse everybody else of going on a crusade. So I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with telling cross-dressers to get back into the strip clubs from whence they came, all right? where they have been able to provide many an outrageous night for paying adult customers for decades without any social upheaval. Until, of course, the magicians, the dark magicians, who are never seen but always heard, felt it was time to start mixing all of this with children. And then they gaslight you. They gaslight you. Banning of books, banning of... They gaslight you. They, they keep leaving out they keep living leaving out the one incendiary thing that's happening now that never happened before or at least so publicly so I really hope that Los Angeles has some fucking soul left and doesn't show up but you know it's LA they'll probably pack the stadium with 50,000 homeless people and brag about it being a sellout I don't know what else to say about that um yeah all right, well, here's another little something for you that should cheer you up. There's 60,000 pounds of explosive chemicals that have been lost in a rail shipment, officials say. We had a caller last night bring this up, and I didn't know anything about it, and I wanted to go check it out. About 60,000 pounds of a chemical used as both a fertilizer and an explosive is missing after likely disappearing during a rail trip from Wyoming to California last month. How do you miss this much? A rail car carrying ammonium nitrate left a plant operated by explosives manufacturer Dino Nobel in Cheyenne, Wyoming. That's on April 12th, according to an incident report filed on May 10th by a representative of the company with the National Response Center. The report states that the chemical was released due to an unknown cause and was discovered missing after the rail car arrived in Saltdale, California, an unincorporated company more than 1,000 miles. Community, I'm sorry. An actual community. Unincorporated community more than 1,000 miles from Cheyenne. At the time of the report, the car was empty and on its way back to Wyoming, according to the company. How, how do you, wh- where does it go? Ammonium nitrate has been a key ingredient in both terror attacks and fatal accidents. At least 581 people were killed in 1947 when more than 2,000 tons of the chemical exploded on a cargo ship that had docked at the port in at a port in Texas City, Texas. The same year in Brest, France, a Norwegian ship that contained about 3,000 tons of ammonium nitrate exploded, leading to 29 deaths. It was also used in a 1970 bombing of the University of Wisconsin-Madison campus that led to one death and several injuries and in 1995 Oklahoma City bombing, which killed 168 people. Well, it's very convenient that a lot of our senators have been given those phones just in time for a number of potential catastrophes to befall us. And then we have this laughable situation. It, it goes from quirked brow, head scratcher, to laughable. A 19-year-old has been arrested on multiple charges after crashing into the barriers near the White House. A suspect made threatening statements about the White House at the scene. A law enforcement official told NBC a Nazi flag was seized by authorities at the scene. So everybody's just 
really, really worried about what this could be. Oh my God, there's a U-Haul has smashed into the White House. They wanted to get Joe Biden and they are, the initial reports, white supremacy, Nazi flag, uh uh-oh. Here we go again. And yes, here we go again. Another brown white supremacist. 19-year-old Missouri man accused of driving into a truck into barriers near the White House made incriminating statements that indicated to investigators he was seeking to harm the president. Which, I mean, you don't need a U-Haul for that. Just put a small flight of steps in front of Joe Biden. He'll take himself out. The driver was Sai Varshith Kandula, which, as you all know, is one of the most popular Nazi surnames back in the early 20th century. Most of the most of the Third Reich came from that family line. <laughs> uh, of Chesterfield, U.S. Park Police police told Tuesday morning the charges against Kandula for allegedly threatening to kill, kidnap, inflict harm on a president, vice president, or family member stemmed from a statement he made on multiple law enforcement agencies to multiple law enforcement agencies. According to a Secret Service representative, President Joe Biden was in the White House when the car truck crashed, though he was in his crib, and very safe. Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said on Tuesday he had met with White House Speaker Kevin McCarthy Monday night to discuss the debt limit. He was relieved that no one was injured. Uh, but they, they it's incredible that out of this whole U-Haul, I don't know what else was in there, but the feds, they went inside, they took out this perfectly brand new pristine swastika, this flag, and they laid it out for all the press to see, just splayed out all nice, nice, just like that. And, um, you know, it's just the imagery. It's the imagery. There's our, there's our Nazi of the day. There's Sai Varshith. I don't know. It's a sayonara, I guess. So you're not going to be hearing from him anymore if he was ever real in the first place. That could be AI generated face at this point, And you just don't know. But then again, if they're going to do that, then why not make him white? Very strange. Everything's very strange, isn't it? Extremely, extremely strange. All right, 7.15, it's time to get ourselves nice and ready to go. I know that Noor is ready to, to hop on, and I have one thing to read onto the record before she arrives. So let's get this one going. We will be right back, and please help me share the show and bring people on in the first half, more people in the second half. I tweeted all the links out. I put it on Truth and Getter and Gab and... Uh, Telegram, it would be wonderful to get sponsored by you in the form of a syndication click. One click. And if you're watching on YouTube or Rumble, please give me them thumbs. Just break off a little thumb action for me, please. That's all I want. little thumb action. And I'm going to come up with new ways of saying this that makes you more and more uncomfortable. Okay? All right. Well, I guess that's that. What does that smell? What kind of animal smokes marijuana at his own confirmation? No, I don't know. Enough with you, I don't know. Well, what are you yelling at me for? Even Grandma says the world has no purpose. Get inside right now and join your guests. Be good Catholic for 15 fucking minutes. Is that so much to ask? You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. 
Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! So as we're going to be learning tonight, Noor bin Laden is on the uh, on the heels of a, a burgeoning story within the WHO circles. Of course, it, th- the main theme is going to be centralized surveillance apparatus and how it's going to proliferate to all corners of the world, or at least that's the intention. Of course, there is human will. There is free will. There is the uh, the God factor. There is all of that. There is the fight. There is the good fight. But it's good to talk about the plans, so you know your enemy. You know your enemy, and from there you go. Welcome to the show. If you want to send in some super chats, I'd love to read them in the second half. We are going to have a little bit more time than I anticipated. Quite frankly, superchat.com, you know, I feel sharp right now because I'm coming up on 24 hours of fasting right now and I'm just starting to get laser focused where I don't ever want to eat again if this is the way I'm going to feel. But no, I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a, late, a late meal tonight to celebrate my first 24-hour block. I know Jay Gulinella would say, don't eat that late, Frank. Guess what? I don't care. I'm having a big burger and I'm also going to have chicken wings. I'm going in. I won't order any fries. I'm going in. I'm having a Latino burger. It's with the uh, the avocado and the cheddar cheese and the red onions. Oh, I'm going for it. Brioche bun. Sorry, I'm taking the whole bun down. All right. So I'll wake up tomorrow nice and groggy, and my George Costanza, the my George my invincible George Costanza moment will be gone. All right, let's go into this. This is something I wanted to do. Here's your shot, and then I'm going to give you the chaser. On one hand, the AP is talking about the cyber gulag, how Russia tracks, censors, and controls its citizens on May 23rd. When Yakaterina Makisomova can't afford to be late, the journalist and activist avoids taking the Moscow subway, even though it's probably the most efficient route. That's because she's been detained five times in the past year thanks to the system's pervasive security cameras with facial recognition. She says police would tell her the cameras reacted to her, although they often seem not to understand why, and they would let her go after a few hours. It seemed like I'm in some kind of a database, says Makisimova, who was previously arrested twice in 2019 after taking part in a demonstration in Moscow in 2020 over her environmental activism. Oh, so she sounds like she's a problem, if you ask me. Uh, anyway, I wouldn't surveil her, but and I do not, I do not think that Russia is some perfect society. 
though they have uh though from Russian leadership I've heard some things that I wish our so-called leaders would adopt um but that this is the the hyperventilating from AP of course oh there's a cyber gulag Russia's tracking and censoring and controlling its citizens it must be bad out there which is really just uh kind of funny is it not then we have this and this came out on May 13th 10 days before that last one I just read you I thought it was a nice compliment. Here's your chaser from Unlimited Hangout, syndicated by Zero Hedge. Uh, This is from Mikhailo Fedorov. Ukraine 2030, the freest and most digital country in the world without bureaucracy, but the strong tech industry, cashless and paperless. This is the future we are building. As I read this to you, as I set set the, the tone for Noor's arrival, just think. This is all a market test. If they have their way in Ukraine, it's a market test for what they're bringing to us. These are the words of Ukraine's Minister of Digital Transformation, Mikhailo Vedorov, who posted a glossy video showcasing Ukraine's sci-fi-esque future to Twitter. The video boasts of Ukraine's plans, after its victory over Russia, of course, to become the freest and most convenient country in the next 10 years. But the juxtaposition between the video's boasts and Ukraine's dire reality on the ground grows more uncanny by the day. November 2022 reports quietly admitted that roughly 100,000 Ukrainian soldiers had been killed or wounded in action, and apparently leaked documents from an April 2023 exposed Ukraine's especially weak air to wartime positioning, where Ukrainian casualties outnumbered those in the Russians 4 to 1, now 7 to 1. Meanwhile, complaints of low ammunition, with Ukraine running uh, through ammo faster than the U.S. and NATO can replace, run amok, and the Bakhmut meat grinder. The estimated lifespan of Ukrainian soldiers in battle is reported to be a grim four hours in late February. Four hours. And that, and since this, that city of Bakhmut has, been, has now been conquered by the Russians. Meanwhile, millions of Ukrainians have fled home as sky-high inflation rates and energy prices have slashed living standards in Europe and internationally. But as the war drudges on, Ukrainian officials have zeroed in on the conflict's alleged silver linings. Yeah, everything has a silver lining. Just like COVID, there was a silver lining for that. Let's restart the whole damn world. Bragging about the new technological developments and investments uh, possibilities that have surfaced during the conflict such as Ukraine's State in a Smartphone, D-I-I-A application. This is it. Mounting technological capabilities spurred by corporate wartime involvement in Ukraine, a further crystallization of the public-private partnership as a civil society instrument, and Ukraine's budding green revolution, which is slated to blossom during its prospective elite-backed reconstruction. As I illustrate... In the investigative piece, such efforts are part of the larger drive toward the related phenomena of the fourth industrial revolution, today's technological revolution that blurs the physical, digital, and biological spheres and the World Economic Forum's Great Reset, an elite-driven initiative to establish Klaus Schwab's vision of stakeholder capitalism, where corporations are positioned as trustees of society. I wish that that's what we can do to establish some voting rights over here. That'd be interesting. Then you get really clean up the voting rolls. Stakeholders. Imagine that, and not just people voting to be paid. Where corporations are positioned as trustees of society and to address the world economic and social woes. At present, two phenomena 
facilitate a new societal era where opaque and corporatized governance uh, governance structures undermine long-standing governmental bodies and decision-making processes through the widespread implementation of top-down transformative policy initiatives. Public-private partnerships that consolidate power while diffusing avenues for public accountability and crises that have expanded the elite's hold, hold over all of society. The executive, uh, the executed, uh, if executed successfully, the end result of such efforts may well be technocratic nightmare, where the fourth industrial revolution's digital advancements have been capitalized upon by the power elite to ensure and exert their dominance through global governance structures that have extracted themselves from the public's reach effectively stripped of its sovereignty after the 2014 U.S.-backed uh, coup, burdened by gargantuan depths, depths and pummeled around by Western rules-based order that usually craves war within its borders, Ukraine's desperation and cannon fodder status before the, and during NATO's ongoing proxy war make it the ideal Great Reset testing ground where various Fourth Industrial Revolution rollouts are ongoing and soon to be foisted upon the rest of us. And I like how they go back. Well, it's unlimited hangout. They, they know exactly what's going on in Ukraine, what the 2014 revolution coup was all about, and how it's very connected to what's going on here. And, um, but there's a lot of things that I don't understand about that. You know, um, because whenever this all ends, the reconstruction can begin, no doubt about it, but it can't, it can't be. It can't be because the organizations that are listed that are actually going to be a part of this, Google, BlackRock, all that stuff, um, those are the those are essentially the same. That's CIA. That's the central bank. That it's ESG. It's the lifeblood of the West's efforts in Ukraine right now against Russia. So none of this makes sense to me. Yes, Ukraine is getting leveled, and it stands to be leveled even further. But. But who's going to be reconstructing things? You think Russia is going to be okay with Google coming in and rebuilding the country that's still on its southern border? Very odd. Anyway, I'm going to bring in our good friend Noor because she's uh, she's always so always so in in tune with these things that are going on around the world, and of course, she always finds herself in the middle of it because she is uh, she's driven by this passion. Hey, Noor, are you there? Hey, Frank. How are you? Oh, I'm so I'm I'm so finally happy that you are here. I'm so happy that you stay up for us because I know it's a pain in the ass to be up late and have to be mentally sharp, but you always are. So welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on with you guys. You know, I always say this, you're my favorite corner of the internet. And between, you know, the war room posse and everybody there and also the the franklies and uh, the energy of, of your audience is just so wonderful. So I'm very blessed. Well, I'm glad that you're back. And I know that a lot of people are too. So it's, uh, it'll be great. And I, I like this little corner too. I, I want to, I want to, I want to keep it up and maybe the corner will get a little bit bigger over time, but it's fine. Uh, the DIIA app. Now what you're talking about, Noor, with the WHO, I, I'm going to have you explain that in a little bit. But I think that this is all obviously tied together. There, we're seeing a, a very slow crawl toward a, a very publicly stated mission of consolidation, of reorganization, of surveillance. Listen to this a little bit. This DIIA app, they call it a sta- state in a smartphone. To jumpstart, 
its technological revolution, Ukraine's established a Ministry of Digital Transformation. Uh, the chief mission of this as of 2019 is to establish a state in a smartphone apparatus, the DIIA app, and transfer all public services online. The ministry other key goals include increasing Ukrainians' digital literacy, internet access, and IT shares of, uh, of uh, or its shares of Ukrainian GDP by 2024. Now, they call it a one-stop shop for 120 digital government services such as business uh, registrations you register a business applying for government benefits paying taxes obtaining documents like digital id digital driver's licenses digital biometric passports which as of 2021 are all recognized in the same legal capacity as their paper equivalents diia meaning action in english translation well there's more to be said here uh, Nora, but does this seem familiar to you Absolutely, Frank. Um, the Ukraine government actually published this video back in June 2022, excuse me, which is when I first saw it. Uh, it was put out by the Deputy Prime Minister Mikhail Fedorov back then, and uh, I had retweeted it in January because he was heavily featured. Uh, in Davos at the WEF conference. Uh, he was one of the, the most prominent guests there to talk about the digitization of Ukraine and the reconstruction of Ukraine and precisely what you just described, which is the transfer of uh, public services in its entirety online in digital form. And um, the Ukraine is very much the test country here in Europe at least on this scale, because you do have certain other programs in other countries that have been uh, piloted um, uh, before. So for example, you look at Estonia, they have this program, E-Estonia, which was also about um, digitization, the digitization of certain um, services, but this all-encompassing um, digitization of the entire society of uh, of uh, Ukraine is the proper test run. I mean, they, we already have the model of China, right? China is very much, I would say, uh, pilot number one in terms of tracking and surveillance and the implementation of social credit scores um, that are absolutely in the make in Western Europe uh, and in the West in general. I mean, you just have to look at... Uh, at the United States, and I, I've actually never jumped on the Elon Musk train because of many reasons. I mean, I do think uh, electric vehicles are a scam. I think that uh, his connections with DARPA and, in essence, all of his businesses uh, came out of the FedGov, and you don't get to the position where he is without you know, cutting deals here and there anyway. Uh, James Corbett does an incredible video about uh, Elon Musk. I encourage everyone to to watch because it's very telling. But to come back to the topic of this digitization of society and all of our services, uh, uh, maybe people don't know this uh, because it was quite on the down low, but Twitter Corp, the company itself, was actually liquidated and it's been transformed into X. And Elon Musk is on record stating that he wants to 
make Twitter X the everything app, a sort of WeChat, uh, as in China, where basically you just have one app to do everything. And uh, that is just the the golden ticket in terms of keeping tabs on everyone in one single place. And so Elon Musk is very much a part of this agenda that is being driven in the West well, yeah, um, the, I mean, to implement that. You think about what they're doing over there as a market test in Ukraine. Every that is a, that's a pretty all-encompassing application. They they say over here that um, there was a bevy of ethical concerns aside from the fact that it exists. They said, for instance, 2018 WEF report on digital ID even admits the tool's propensity for exclusion positing that for individuals, verifiable IDs open up or close off the digital world with its jobs, political activities, education, financial services, healthcare, and more. Despite this consequential acknowledgement, the report's writers and other act, um, um, advocates ultimately insist that digital ID is a key tool for financial and social inclusion in an increasingly digital world of, of course, the precondition that digital ID would be given to everyone. And... Inclusion would mean if you are if you're you're walking in lockstep with the state that controls this technology, because we've already seen in places like France that we're doing the digital uh, passports for vaccines and whatever that they had. Um, there was there's a lot of problems for people to access health care if they weren't up to date with one shot or another. And yeah, uh, and we know that once all the money goes digital, which they want this to go completely cashless. Then talk about excluding people from whatever they think that they own once they um, cast a some kind of an aspersion on something that the state is doing that they think is outside the bounds of its authority. So it's it's really um, it's incredible here. I have more on this, but I want to hear what you have to say about that. Everything is tied together, Frank. You know, the infrastructure that has been set up is just so massive and all-encompassing and the thing is they have these mass inoculation programs that they're rolling out through the who right which they want people to how would you say they want to be able to track that everybody's taking these vaccines that they're that these people have been administered these vaccines and that's the justification for the introduction of the digital ID, you know, for our health, for our security, for avoiding, you know, the the spread of certain uh, pandemics. All of this, obviously, we know is is a narrative, and it's very much a construction in order to push this digitization. Because with that, with the digital IDs, come the digital currencies. And with that, the tracking of every single thing that we do. And this is what I had mentioned, I think, when I was on the show back in January, talking about Davos and the WEF specifically, that they really do want to track all aspects of our lives. And they are so close to reaching their goal, thanks to the advent of, you know, the Internet of Things, 5G, um, uh, the sophistication of the devices, and again, the CBDCs. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, it's at our doorstep. It's very much at their doorstep. And you have all these international organizations, our captured governments, uh, the industry, you know, all these corporations, uh, 
the public-private partnerships, as they like to refer it to, you have all these different um, pillars of this infrastructure working hand-in-hand towards the implementation of these digital jails in which they want to lock us in. And, you know, whether it's the WHO with the inoculation programs uh, that would, you know, justify the digital IDs so that they can keep track of the vaccines that uh, they are they are injecting in us. And then the digital um, currencies, everything is in lockstep together. I mean, it's a very well-oiled machine, but at the same time, they've been working on this for over 100 years. And we are seeing the culmination of these plans materialize in front of our eyes right now when i uh before we move on to the who because you have a lot of things to say about that right there let me ask you one more question about this just from the ukraine standpoint it's a question i asked myself before i i took your call and that was the media they have a blackout on ukraine's steady collapse and it tells me that they're going to spin one set of lies and omissions into a bigger catastrophe that could be controlled in some way. But if this war goes nuclear, especially all these reconstruction plans, everything I just talked about right there at the center of that are companies like Google and BlackRock that have a vested interest in being the ones to be able to rebuild Ukraine. If this war goes nuclear, or even if they, they get Zelensky to surrender at this point, why would Russia be okay with the same people that is essentially who he's fighting right now by proxy taking over the reconstruction of Ukraine and further uh, further uh, embedding themselves in there and, and, and making these investments in a, in a country that is being completely annihilated economically and, and, and everything else? What do you think the future of this is? Because I, I don't know how they can even set up shop in the way that they are visualizing in Ukraine because it's, I mean, that Russia doesn't want them there. That's the whole point. It's a very good question, Frank. The thing is the people that are buying up, um, buying up the land, buying, buying up the resources and the destroyed infrastructure are the very people that intentionally destroy the country it's always the same playbook right if if you look at all the previous wars it's always been the same thing when it comes to russia it's very difficult to say you know i mean it's it's very obvious to anyone who's been following uh the conflict you know since 2014 um that this is completely a proxy war right the globalists are waging war against russia through the ukraine and they they know the value of ukraine especially in terms of agriculture and as i just mentioned the resources there in terms of russia and its role you know i it's very difficult to discern what's going on because although i am for uh i would say let me choose my words carefully here Although I appreciate that the narrative that we've been told about Russia is completely false and it's not, you know, Putin that um, caused this conflict in the first place. We know that this is complete, com- a complete fabrication. It is very um, questioning, questioning, questionable mm-hmm. um, in terms of uh, President Putin's role 
with the WHO and certain of these uh, international organizations and the rollout of the globalist plan uh, on a larger scale. So I'm reserving judgment on that. I really do hope, hope that President Putin is on the right side of history here. Um, but the we we only see 10%, if that much, of what's actually going on when it comes to geopolitics. So it's it's hard to make a informed um, con- to draw an informed conclusion when it comes to that specific topic. I would say very well said, very well said, and I know, I know a lot of people would uh, have have suspected about that level of you know at least potential connection where there is always a sense of kabuki. Uh, there is always a sense of, you know, there are geopolitics, especially like this, it, it makes strange bedfellows over many years. And sometimes there are legitimate betrayals and there are old friendships or, or, or at least business relationships that go sour. There's a lot of things. And I'll tell you, all those things and all the very, all the variations are never made public to us. And we are really just at the, the bottom of the totem pole. We are subterranean. Mm-hmm. Our totem has been completely buried, but I, uh, I, I, Frank, the one thing I do want to say, you know, in terms of of President Putin and Russia that we can obviously all appreciate is what he's doing for his own country when it comes to banning GMOs, when it comes to banning, you know, these absurd uh, LGBT whatever letters nonsense. Um, He's... uh, he seems to be what we would, you know, refer to as a nationalist, protecting the interest of, of Russia. So that's why I'm still hopeful um, that he is on the right side of history. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. Um, I'm, I'm with you on that one, and uh, it, it's always good to play observer, and it, you're you're very good at that, no doubt. Um, so then, moving on, you mentioned the WHO, and we don't know who who really belongs to who. But you had a um, you were you had, it was what was it yesterday no a couple days ago you were talking on the eve of WHA seventy six the WHO launches its latest offensive to further control the world population as per IHR amendments and pandemic treaty provisions now we had um, I know you know do you know personally James Raguski I don't know him personally but I follow his work he's terrific. He's been on this show once before, and I think we were talking about this maybe about two years ago. The time flies. But as far as these amendments and uh, the treaty provisions, what what can you tell us about this, as I know you've been following it very closely? So to give a brief overview uh, on these two instruments, as we call them, so you have the international health regulations, um, and you have the so-called pandemic treaty. These are two Um, legal instruments that are being pushed by the WHO in order essentially to further extend, consolidate, and centralize the powers of the WHO because through these legal instruments, in essence, the WHO would render national sovereignty completely obsolete, meaning that the director general of the WHO would essentially have full powers to declare a um, what they refer to as a, um, a public health emergency of international concern, either potential or actual threat. 
Um, wow. So let's, yeah, so let's do like a, a little um, visualization here or illustration. If tomorrow Tedros um, Ghebreyesus, the current director general of the WHO, identifies a potential uh, threat of a pandemic, he could essentially declare some sort of what we could refer to as martial law and whatever the WHO decides should be the implemented measures to counter this pandemic, all member states would have to follow. And that includes lockdowns, um, forced inoculations, um, travel restrictions, um, quarantines. And if a member state's government um, or members of a government who don't agree with these measures and would like to handle um, the response at a national level, they would have to comply with whatever the WHO decides. This is incredibly serious. And this is, this is the way through which the globalists are setting up the infrastructure for this world government. You have two major Trojan horses that are being used. You have these so-called health emergencies, and then you have climate change. And this week, uh, as you mentioned, you know, reading my tweet, the World Health Assembly is meeting in Geneva, um, which is the annual meeting of the WHO, which takes place every year here in uh, in Geneva at the headquarters. And they are discussing these two instruments. They are discussing how they are going to uh, implement them by May 2024, which is the deadline for well, the member states to do you finalize know, the drafting. Do you know what the, have you learned anything about, I mean, we can go into what they want. Obviously over here, stateside, and I don't know how every other country out there is, is organized, but um, they would mean, uh, it would be completely unconstitutional for our Senate to approve any treaty of the sort, but of course we have, we have been taken control of by a group of people who don't even know what the hell they have sworn an oath to. They don't care about how the Constitution functions. They just look in. Um, they look in. Uh, they look at everything through the lens of simple majorities, and that they are representing a by and large group of ignorant people who are don't understand what is the civic reality of being an american now um so i i don't think that whereas sometime in the past i mean hey we joined the un that should have never happened we almost got roped into joining the league of nations um and so we are i don't think that we're totally protected because we've been taken hostage by a rogue group of actors like this but what i would like to know is that out of all the things that they want to they want to stuff into this so-called treaty, what are the consequences for non-compliance? Like, let's say, let's say uh, yeah, everybody joins, including the United States, and and then suddenly the WHO says we want everybody to lock down because there is a another coronavirus or an enterovirus that's going around, and we need to lock down and shut shut everything off, and we simply say. Yeah, no, that's not happening. What What are they going? What are the consequences for non-compliance? Is anything like that been made public? It's very funny that you should mention that because they have actually set up a compliance committee and universal peer review me mechanism to monitor the compliance of uh, member states. So we know that this is 
one of the um, uh, they are very well aware that there needs to be a mechanism in place to monitor uh, the member states and how they're going to behave. But the the instruments themselves, whether the IHR or the pandemic uh, accord or treaty, make it very clear that these documents or, or these 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 instruments are legally binding, and that member states are required to comply. So in terms of non-compliance, how is that going to translate? Is it going to be, um, are member states going to suffer penalties? Are there actually going to be boots on the ground, UN boots on the ground? I don't think this is something that is far-fetched, right? And I think this is very much the intent. Uh, they want to create this one world government. They want to eradicate borders. As I mentioned on Steve Bannon's war room today, the goal is to render the nation state completely obsolete and basically nations would only be um, outlines on a map. Borders would essentially just be outlines on a map. And so you do have, um, there are legitimate concerns about a special type of UN force that would just come into countries and make populations comply. Hmm. That would be. Uh, no, it's incredibly, it's incredibly um, sinister what's going on here in Geneva. I mean, it's it's a rollout. The plans have already been drawn up long ago. This is a formality. What is happening? You know, just like Davos. Davos is a major press conference, and they just roll out the agenda for us plebs to kind of know what's what's happening. But um, it's just a question of when unless we stop them that is and um and yeah they they're using this this umbrella of health emergencies to jam through these these how would you say um i'm looking for my words i'm sorry it's a bit late and i and it's I'm, okay. I'm a bit tired but it's it's uh, it's this this under the guise of protecting us under the guise of responding to to health emergencies they are going to usher in this mass surveillance program and this is also you know you mentioned that tweet of mine that you read with this new initiative called the IPSN the International uh, Pathogen Surveillance Network which sits under the pandemic, the WHO pandemic hub, which then sits underneath this umbrella term of uh, the workforce on health emergencies. I mean, the the, the bureaucracy is just enormous and yeah. all these terms are so confusing by design. Um, but in essence, what you're looking at, when you look at all the different WHO initiatives, there's a very um, heavy focus on surveillance. The word surveillance appears in so many of their different initiatives because they are trying to sell this to us as though they want to be on top of things. They want to learn from the mistakes, quote, mistakes. Uh, we know that it was purely by design, but the mistakes of COVID. And so in order to do that and, and be able to respond in a much better way then they responded during COVID. They need these surveillance powers, which they call, by the way, 
collaborative surveillance. Oh, of course, um, of course, of course, of course, right? Uh, in order to be able to identify potential threats as quickly as possible and respond appropriately. I mean, it's such a load of BS and uh, it's so infuriating. You know, they always use these lofty terms and this these so these noble ideals, you know, of protecting us and, and making sure we're healthy when in fact they do the exact opposite. They are here to harm us and to poison us and this is a perfect segue to tell the audience about this website that i just launched with my friend uh, nick ceruti on monday called we hurt others and the the domain is wehurtothers.com and it's essentially a repository of everything you need to know about the who's power grab so it's very simple. We organized it in terms of categories and uh, resources and latest news and official WHO documentation and the basics you need to know about the WHO because these attacks are multi are on multi fronts, right? And they inundate us with so much uh, nomenclature and so many different initiatives. And you know, you have then these legal instruments and you have these tasks for these tasks force um and so we wanted to try and make sense of all of this information so that it the information is easier to digest and also to disseminate because all across the world in each country we are all we are all dealing with attacks you know and you know especially looking to the united states and everything that's going on there and you know the primaries and the weaponization of the DOJ and the FBI and I mean the the country is just under constant attack and these are very real things that are happening never mind the distractions of course as part of the psy war but then you have this thing happening here in Geneva the WHO's power grab um, on a very fundamental level that is happening in parallel to all of these, you know, crises in our, in each of our nations. And we cannot lose sight of this because the globalists are on a fast track to completely lock us into this one world government and into our own digital jails. And they are using the WHO. The WHO is one of the key chosen um weapons in terms of institutions that are using to set up this infrastructure, this global architecture, um, whereby we would all be hooked up to a grid. When when are is the, uh, so obviously this is being made public, what is being proposed, then there will be whatever, I don't know, they set up their own systems of, of debating and voting and all that stuff. When is there a decision time? Uh, on this, and I know that there's um, just from a uh, a standpoint of assessing their next moves. When do they try to bring this this treaty up for a a vote to member states and and everything else? Is that is that soon, or uh, what's the timeline that we're working with? Yeah. So just a quick word on the timeline: the um, pandemic uh, drafting began early 2022 after the inter governmental negotiating negotiating body was formed in December 2021. And so the process for what we refer to commonly as the pandemic treaty, 
uh, obviously the name is much more complicated. The official name is the WHO's Convention Agreement or Other International Instrument on um, Pandemic Preparedness, Prevention and Response. And so it's abbreviated to WHOCA+, commonly referred to as the Treaty or the Pandemic Accord. And so this has been now uh, in the works in terms of drafting between the different member states for over a year, and the final deadline um, for vote is exactly this time one year from now at the 77th World Health Assembly. And in parallel to that, you have the international health regulation amendments. That process was kicked off almost exactly at the same time in January 2022, actually at the behest of the Biden regime, who first proposed this. So you have the Biden regime, which is, in essence, driving this eradication of U.S. sovereignty hand in hand with the WHO. And so they have a what they call a working group at the WHO handling uh, the proposed amendments by each member states. And they are tightening everything up as they are doing with the treaty in time, again, for the WHO's annual assembly next year. Next year. And what's important to know, yeah, what's important to know is that member states uh, have already agreed and signed um, the international health regulations, and the amendments would only require 50% of the member states to um, ratify them. And for the treaty, it would, it would require two-thirds of the member states to um, enforce the treaty or sign up to the treaty. But that's, in any case, a little bit moot because all of the member states are compromised and uh, are behind the adoption of both of these instruments. Yeah. Uh, th- there's. Well, nobody said it was going to be a um, an easy year and a half with everything brewing right now and of course there's so much going on that it's uh far more explosive and the slow gradual uh sinking into yet another big presidential election you know circus things like this are going to be going on behind the scenes and that's why i'm glad we were able to have people like you on to talk and i i I know that it's uh it's uh it must be a little bit um a little bit daunting at times because of how 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 dark the material is. But I know that you're an optimist. Um, I know you put a lot of faith in into the into the the, the rising again of of the, the the lighter side of humanity. It always has to be that way. But for now, um, I guess on our end, it's just more observing and more and more just being aware of it. Because whenever eventually this has to come to a point where it's not it's not being spoken about just in uh, poorly covered groups and committees and councils by the media or anything like that and you know hidden I know there's there's Bilderberg in Lisbon now and there's a, you know a G7 is in is in Tokyo or in in Japan somewhere um, if you're talking about a major shift where all member states of the WHO are going to have to make some kind of a decision on uh, what they're going to do to pledge their fealty to this thing, uh, I, I can't imagine that this is going to stay secret for long. And then at that point, 
that's all going to be about our our Senate and and what the com- the composition of our Senate and the White House is is then in 2024. I don't see. Uh, I mean, it's still going to be the same way it is right now. So we'll see. We're we're going to have to see, and we're going to have to get pretty loud about it because you know we're still in the yeah, UN I- after all these years. I mean, Frank, what's so crazy is that, you know, for the creation of this uh, website, we heard others. Um, I've been really digging deep into the documentation uh, of the WHO and their website, and it's just all out in the open. It's all out there. It's just buried by the media. They're not not talking about it, and it's up to citizens, like journalists or whatever, to go and look into this and to try and bring it to light. And this is exactly what me and my friend uh, Nick um, tried to do with this website, which we actually built in like three days. We spent a lot of time uh, having fun with the logo. If you don't mind pulling up the picture, uh, it would be cool because I think the logo is pretty striking. Oh, Um, hold on a second. I'm going to have to send that to myself. Wait a second. Give, you, yeah, you, but, you, you keep talking, I'll, and I'll try to I'll get this over, up on screen as quick as sure. I can. Otherwise, you can get it on um, if you go to the browser and you type in wehurtothers.com, you'll have the logo there. But yeah, we had some fun with that because it's a total parody of the WHO's logo, but which represents you know the we hurt others aspect because as I mentioned a bit earlier, this is exactly what they do. They are hurting us. They're not saving lives, as is the theme of this year's World Health Assembly. By the way, what a joke. They're actually harming lives. And uh, it's important that we know what is going on because all of our lives uh, depend on it and our our children's lives. I mean, I don't want to live in uh, the type of world that they're describing um, uh, in... uh, in lofty terms, but that in reality is anything but. Uh, it's like live in the pod, uh, eat the bugs, and uh, you can't, you know, leave your 15-minute cities. You're going to have credits in order to travel because of carbon credit scores, etc. I mean, what's the overhaul that they that they plan for us is so dystopian. And uh, I remember I mentioned this as well in January. When I was on, on the war room, I, I said this sentence, which I think is is very telling and very strong, but spot on. And I had said, you know, their utopia is our dystopia. And mm. uh, what they have prepared for us is just incredibly bleak. And you're right, I'm an optimist, but I'm also a realist. It's going to get much worse before it gets better. I know I say this every time I'm on the show. But it's true, and we really need to brace ourselves for the next couple of years. And this WHO business is evil beyond words. And uh, I don't know what we can do except for speaking about it. And just, the, you know, the thing is in the U.S., almost every single senator and congressman, you know, bar a few who have been speaking about this, have completely sold out to the globalist class. And you mentioned earlier in the show, you know, they 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 swore they they swore on an oath, which means nothing to them. It was they lied, you know, and we know that that's treason, no? Mm-hmm. So what's what's the price for treason to that level? I mean, it's we, um, we are we're always uh, hovering between 
if you are too optimistic, you are accused of of selling uh, opium to people. Opium. If you are if you are too realist, or if you start feeling like, oh man, this is uh, the diagnosis is not that good, and this is going to be pretty bad, then then you're 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 blackpilling people. So it's uh, it. I I think it's just one of those things where we have to learn to kind of skip through. Just kind of yeah. have a have a pep in our step and 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 learn to to face the music and in, in some some you know lighthearted ways because yeah you're right there's there's a lot you can't you can't will away a mess that needs to eventually be cleaned it's, it's going to have to you know it's going to be dirty but the good thing is that the more we read about this the, when we usually read about this stuff we're usually alone. We, we feel uh, loosely connected to a bunch of people through a device, a computer, a tablet. Um, and you, over time, you, you make friends in certain chat rooms and you get to know people by their Twitter accounts. But by and large, a lot of people just don't have, they don't have that uh, reminder of how many are in the same boat. And that when one thing strikes uh, society at large or the world at large, there's going to be far more company than we think a lot of people to share the, uh, the 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 mess with, and it'll it'll be chaotic in its own sense. But I think the worst part about something like this is the feeling of desolation, and um, mm-hmm. and that that is something that is a um, that's that is something that needs to be batted away constantly. And we have to remember just how many people are on are are in the same boat, and how many billions of people are decent people. And it, it it always takes a loud, squeaky minority to cast a uh, a very dark picture projected onto the whole of mankind, and and that should be enough to just keep us waking up every day for the good fight. And again, Nor, I'm so happy to have you on. I, I that it was a wonderful uh, wonderful uh, logo there. I had it up on the screen. What what URL would you like people to go and? follow you at i know that you're active on instagram and twitter is that where people should really hone in on all of your work or is there a url that you want to you want to publish yeah i mean twitter is my my uh favorite um means of communication so norbin laden and then we launched uh, the twitter handle for uh we hurt others uh we're also on getter i'm also on getter by the way and um, Instagram, I don't use so much uh, compared to the others. And then the URL is wehurtothers.com. And so it's everything you need to know about the WHO uh, on there. And you'll see we, we really put amazing resources on there because you do have incredible journalists and concerned citizens like ourselves that have been digging deep into this, you know, like James Rogusky, who we who we mentioned earlier, for example, he's featured on there, and we just wanted to put the best of all the information for people to be well versed and aware of what's going on on this specific front of the fight. And uh, coming back to what we were saying earlier, we need to be at the intersection of hopium and black pill. Yeah. We need to be in that spot, basically. Somewhere. And we cannot be demoralized because that's what they want us to be. So I I, I refuse to be demoralized. I I mean, I'm not going to use the word never, but I, I, I don't get demoralized. It's not in my nature. Sometimes I'm a bit tired. Um, 
And I'll, I'd like to uh, apologize to the audience because it's one such a, one of these evenings where I'm struggling with my English because I'm a bit uh, spent. But um, apart from that, no, we have to keep on. We have to be motivated. And at the end, we will get on the other side of that tunnel uh, to the light. It's uh, They're just not going to let this go and they're going to put up a fight. But so we, so will we and we will win. Thank you so much, Noor Bin Laden, for being on again tonight. I can't wait to uh, to have another session with you. Yeah, me too. Always a pleasure, Frank. And hi to everyone, and thanks for having me. You got it. Go get some sleep, please. You're, you're making me tired. Sorry. And sorry for, like, the bedroom voice at, like, one, 2 o'clock in the morning, guys. Apologies. We appreciate it more than you know. And uh, and, and thank you for the fight all the way, all the way out there. And, uh, and, and you make it seem like you're right here stateside with us sometimes with your tireless efforts. Uh, you're just always awake. So go get some sleep, and we'll talk soon. Thank you for thank everything. You. We'll speak soon. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye, Frank. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, ladies and gents. So that is uh, we're a nice place to end that. We're going to take a really quick break for intermission. We come back, and I have some time for your calls. So I think we, we should be able to squeak out at least 20 minutes or so. Some roundup thoughts, and then you. 914-200-0269. 914-200-0269. Get them ready. I'm going to be reading your super chats when we come back, too. It's intermission time, folks. Time out. Press the like button. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Quite frankly. 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 Quite Quite frankly. Quite frankly. Quite not quite. Let's go, Brandon. Quite frankly, in Roma, Italia. Quite frankly, you're going on Frank's show tonight? I really like you. You're very smart. So everybody watch. Quite frankly. With Frank. Quite frankly. How dare you?
we are back. We're back, and I have some super chats here we can get to. And then we're going to open up the lines. Ken McNeil says, How far the Dodgers have fallen since that magical year of 1988 when Kirk Gibson hit that home run. Well, Frank, you're the home run hitter now, brother. Great show. Well, we're gonna, we'll get to some home run shows. I still consider this a little bit of a current events news social commentary show, which is... I wish that there was something, I had, and I have to find something really awesome to commentate on. There are people out there, there are children that are inventing things, that are winning awards for really great things, acts of compassion, good Samaritans. We gotta find that. I had a couple of positive news sources that got so woke. Like I went to, I had three websites that I went for positive news so I can start giving that to people. And we were doing that for a while. But I have to find new sources because they got so activist that all the positive news was rooted in constant reminders of how bad things are and why one group or another has to rise above and needs more help than others. It's just like, wow, you even ruined the positive news? So we'll do that. And we got some more hidden history to do. And I've got some great guests that are coming on. Um... Uper Viking says, hi, Frank. So this alpha gal thing, the tick, the tick disease, it gets stranger. My mom has a friend, has a friend who also has a disease. If he eats store-bought meat, he has an allergic reaction. If he eats a burger from a fast food place, no reaction. That should scare everyone. Great show. If he eats a burger from fast food place, no reaction. So if he has a quarter pounder, He's fine, but if he goes and he gets some grass-fed beef from a reputable store or something like that, he's he's in bad shape, huh? Huh. Well, all right. Let's see here. Maddie Nice says, "Evening, Frank. Be sure to ask. Um, be sure to ask Sam about his recent episode." On the gate program, it was a doozy. Oh, I already told him. I already told him. Because after we did uh, that Friday night call-in show from people and their gate program experiences, I sent him the link. I knew it was something that he would like. And then I saw that he did a a big gate program show with a, a guest, the kind of a, a guest that I would I would love to be able to snag over here to be able to talk about all these things these synchronicities and the range of experiences people have and what's going on there. So I would love for that to happen. Maybe he can, he can give us a secondhand deep dive, but I can't wait for Sam to come on. It's always a great time. Let's see. Uper Vikings is Frank two zero 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 two six nine in the tune of eight, six, seven, five, three Oh nine. It works. I've been singing it. Nora is absolutely lovely, no matter what time. Yeah, she's a great guest. Although, if you uh, if you jump into certain chat rooms at random times, uh, everybody, nobody's real, and everybody's a projection and a hologram and a uh, an agent for one thing or another. And just like, oh man, another another uh, another Bambi, another Bambi just born. Started drinking from the conspiracy hose a couple of years ago and uh, barely have their legs under them. Everything is 
a projection. But yes, wonderful guest. And uh, how are we doing over there on Rumble? Great, great, great people. And a great number of people hanging out on Rumble. Please hit that like button. If you don't send a Rumble rant tonight, that's totally fine. As long as you hit the like button. We got to try to get those Rumble likes up around uh, 1,000 a show. And we will start breaking some barriers and introducing ourselves to new people. Over on QuiteFrankly.tv, Sean Joe says hello. Along with Boyce Blanc, Jesse81138, Bacon Slut says great show. Thank you, Bacon Slut. And thank you, Sean Joe, again. All right. Make sure I see everything. Everybody's hanging out on Rockfin. Everybody's hanging out on Theta. Having a good time. Let's take a call. Let's take some calls. So we got... I don't know. There's plenty to talk about. We've got 30 tons of ammonium nitrate just goes missing. That's being reported on now. We've got our senators. They have been issued satellite phones in the case of a catastrophe. The war in Ukraine is lost. All but lost for NATO, but they're still ignoring it in the media and continuing to pump not only money, but jets, F-16s, into the region. I got this from a guy uh, in the audience, Tom. He says, Frank, I got several RSS feeds that I subscribe to, especially one from the U.S. State Department or the Department of Defense. And this was released today at 4 p.m. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin met with Czech Republic Minister of Defense Jana Cernachova uh, uh, or Cernakova. And in a separate update at 4.10 p.m., it was mentioned that they signed a security agreement meant to enhance NATO operations. Poland is west of Ukraine, and the Czech Republic is west of Poland. As usual, it looks like a major military event may happen in or around Poland. Baba Vanga! That's all I'll say. On top of that, uh, we got this ridiculous photo op with a Nazi flag prop in D.C. with a, a now Hindu white supremacists, so there's a little something. And I've got a little extra time, so I want to know what you're all thinking. Let's take a call from Margaret. What's going on, Margaret? Oh, my goodness. Hi, Frank. Welcome. Um, I'm commonly known as Biden's brain. Oh, oh, okay. Welcome, Marge. Marge, yeah. Yeah, it's great to have you back. So everybody, if you don't remember, uh, uh, Margie over here is the is the uh, the one who called in years ago to tell us about her personal run-in with the with the surgeon who removed at least a third of Joe Biden's brain. Now we have now confirmed through multiple sources. So welcome back. How are you? I'm fine, thanks. I'm so happy to be back on your show again, Frank. Another great night. Well, thank Every you. Every night is great. Um, but what I was trying to get a hold of you about was. Last night, you were asking who's doing the um, infiltration on our southern border. And more specifically, Margaret, <coughs> more specifically, because, I mean, we know what the, the point of the, the migrant crises are in both hemispheres. More specifically is, I wonder what the, what the actual operation is like abroad that is going out well, and organizing people yes. for the, the, the journey. That's what I'm going to tell you. Okay. It is the um, uh, organi- the International Organization for Migrants. That is part of the United Nations. It's a U.S. mission in Geneva, 
and it's headed by the new deputy director, Amy Pope. She is um, a Trump hater. She is a Biden lover, and they are charged with figuring out who from what country is going to go where. Hmm. That is the whole, that's the whole reason for being. If you go online and just look up U.S. Mission Geneva, the I-O-M, you can find it. But um, they are in charge of that. That's what they do. And they get along with the um, Catholic charity, with the Lutheran charity, and they share people and money. From what I understand, the people who are coming across our border right now, when they get their phone, they also get $3,200, um, evidently the bank app on their phone. And I don't know if they're going to get it every month. But if I know you know who Tori says is, because I've heard her reference you. Well, Tori's been on the show a few times. I, right. I, I've, right. I, I've always, right. yeah. She did an amazing show on this very subject on May 15th. And um, she goes into great detail. This, on pa- it this past May 15th? The last May 15th, hmm. yes. Gotta look. I gotta. I gotta very, look into. Well, I love. It's, I love. It's on Rumble. I love all of those. Sorry. Those. Uh, those. Those dives into this because, like I said, um, years ago when we were doing these dives into faith-based initiatives along the border, that was as right. very provocative and again provocative, bipartisan. Uh, Ted Cruz uh, is is not yes. is not uh, innocent of any of this stuff. People like that that you th- that, that that normal party divide it it disappears when it comes to the billions that are funneled into all of these uh, these operations around along the border that are very much a, uh, a a driving factor and force into why these people go across with su- you know, sufficient confidence that they're going to be dealt with, and then you yeah, start it's talking well about planned. oh yeah. Because that's just the border, which is a launch point into where they have their subsidiary groups in the interior. Like we were talking about last night when I found that three-minute clip of uh, uh, Michael Savage on his regular spot on Newsmax. Like you just said right there, Lutheran, Catholic organizations, they have all the trappings of faith-based organizations. But it's really just a a money laundry and a human trafficking operation. It's money laundering and it's tax-free for them. They can do it as a charity. Yep, it's all organized with the 501c3, and it's uh, and of course you're dealing in human life. It's not as egregious for people when they he- when they hear that you know ninety uh, percent of the people coming. And thank you for the call, Margaret. Ninety percent of the people coming over the border are working aged, military aged males. Be a little bit more hard for people to listen to this stuff and feel like it's r- wrong or whatever. When you talk about children being the main the main, um, the main group class of people that are being trafficked over the border, though we know that's happening, and that we know um, uh, what's her name that just testified before Congress about about what is happening at the border and, and how people are being processed and how the entire the entire operation is so shungad, and that as she knows or or the the, the children that she knows of. 85,000 unaccounted for. 
Then you say, have they just been lost to the process or is there something else going on? I think that you would, I think that you can hazard a guess as to what's happening there. Because this entire process, this is not people from any number of the hundred plus countries that are now flooding to the U.S. to invade the, the southern border. It's over a hundred countries. It has been confirmed that people from all over the world are showing up, showing up. It's not families around a dinner table somewhere in, in their suburbs or their favelas or whatever the hell it was and saying, you know what? Uh, I think that we, we should try to make a better life for ourselves in America. Let's, let's put, uh, we're going to start putting in the, in the paperwork and we're going to do this and all that stuff. It's, it's not that. It's not that. There's no waiting list. Uh, in fact, there's no reason for people to go there and, and get themselves on the waiting list because millions, millions of unwashed, illiterate masses who cannot be checked, they have no backgrounds, they cannot be accounted for, are just streaming over the border. Uh, what, what's the incentive to do anything right at this point? What's the incentive? And whereas the right way should be the incentive because, you know, that doesn't require rape. It doesn't require paying drug traffickers and human traffickers and rapists, murderers, to guide you across unforgiving swaths of land, desert, in box trucks, hidden in trunks, dying along the way from God knows how many things, disease, assault. I mean, the entire thing the fact that it is it is wholly again miscategorized by our government and our media as anything other than asylum seekers and a refugee crisis no no the fact that they they habitually miscategorize what's going on and 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 how the the, the transaction that needs to be made is 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 so incredibly obscene and inhumane what more do you need to know about the people who supposedly represent us? What more do you need to know about them? Their mischaracterizations of the things that are going on in the world alone. Mischaracterizing Ukraine while hundreds of thousands die. On both sides. They don't care. Let's go. 914 What's going on, Al Albert? Hey, Frank. Hey, man. I'm having a great time, man. Great. Isn't it weird how only, isn't it weird, don't you think, how only white nations need to be diversified? But that's an afterthought. You, your question was, um, you know, how is Russia going to be okay with this, right? With, like, rebuilding, with Google, in BlackRock and everything, and Nora was having difficulty answering that, too. I think she answered it pretty well. Yeah, well, I'm going to answer it better. Okay. The, re the reason why Russia's not going to have a problem with that is they have a Rothschild bank. And what is BlackRock? And what is Google? And what are all those State Street and... Uh, Chase and all of it. That's why. And the thing is, is that's just a grinder. Ukraine is just a grinder. And what it's doing is it's not only eating up all of our ammunition 
in all of our money, but it's eating up Germany's. It's eating up uh, France. It's eating up Italy's. We are all the Western nations are on on the brink, right? And the thing is, is that's just a grinder. And like you said, they're the Ukrainians are dying seven to one. Let me be clear. Those are white Christians, okay, that are that are being there. And if you ever read a book called uh, by this dude named Kevin Allen Brook, it's called the uh, the Jews of Caesarea, and that is where all of this is coming from. This is all a, like a Jewish homeland where they all hail out of, and that's what it is. And they're not going to have a problem with it. Russia's not going to have a problem with it because. They, I don't know if you've seen pictures of Putin, but their whole government is infiltrated with Kazarians. Our whole government is infiltrated with Kazarians. And the Rothschilds, everything that goes around here is infiltrated with Kazarians. And Russia, I don't know if you looked, but everybody talks about Russia, how great it is and everything. They're instituting a surveillance state there. They're instituting CBDCs there. The only thing that they're doing is they're going, oh, well, look, you know, Russia's doing this. So they've got us all like cheering on. Oh, yeah, you know, this is all wrong. Look at all the states and stuff. But in the long and the short of it is, is all of the Western nations are dumping tons and tons of money in there. And all of our cash, all of our ammunition and what Nora was talking about, about the blue helmets coming in, you know, and I agree with her. This is going to be a very interesting summer because I don't even think that they've got started yet. And I don't mean that as like a black pill or anything. I mean, it's just the way that it's going as it occurs to me. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I, I like that she was taking the uh, the wait and see approach, because as, as I said, I, I read all of the WEF, all the WEF ties, how he, Putin was one of their golden boys. If you go far, farther, uh, far, far enough back. Um, and then you have, I mean, I, I never really did any any deeper research into into the uh, the Bank of London and uh, and and Russia and where it is now and how it's being economically transformed. But the whole world is 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 in flux. And as I said, whereas um, what we were being sold with this this war in Ukraine is a bunch of bullshit. Because we know that, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so you know, yep. so my whole my whole contention with that is just that uh, the, the media the media explanation of why things popped off over there is complete nonsense. And uh, as as I see it, the Russians acting in their own interest. This would be a, the what a nation acting in their own interest would do if that an operation like that was at their southern border like ukraine was as far as what the what what is going to happen down the line and what allegiances are going to be sworn as we get farther and farther away from this inflection point right here i don't know i don't i don't uh, pledge my fealty to russia or putin or elon musk or 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 anybody i i don't think it's i I think it's going to be real rebuilt I do think it's going to be rebuilt. Well, somebody's going to have to. Somebody's going to have to be the contract. It ain't going to be by white Christians. Well, hey, hey, (laughs) somebody's going to have to get the contract. I'm just wondering. That is going to be a very telling thing in itself. Like I was saying before, and thank you for the call, Albert. That that the rebuilding of Ukraine is going to be a very telling thing, because this entire war is about neutrality 
of Ukraine that has been that has been um, disrupted time and time again from the new Soviet Union, NATO, that has promised so many times over the years not to infringe that far and to leave that buffer zone around Russia. And then 2014, we know all about the, the, the coup and how things really change over there. And uh, with that in place, I mean, you go into this liberation mode for those those uh, those eastern provinces and and whatever happens there, those are not coming back. And for a time there, when we're we're hearing about uh, Russia's willingness to negotiate with with uh, Zelensky, he's not getting those back. But we can talk about something else as long as you neutralize your political ties with NATO and uh, and we can we can go back to some kind of working order. And that didn't happen. So now there is this obvious, we can see what's going on here. Ukraine is being, is completely controlled by the West, by NATO, by most of the same unseen forces that created this mess. So for the war to conclude in one way or another, catastrophic or absolutely annihilated, because it's been catastrophic so far, for the war to conclude and to have the same people who were bombing the, 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 those eastern promise, provinces, who were uh, building the biological labs, who were flirting with NATO, who were doing all this other stuff that was going on there, and really infringing on, on all, every past handshake as to how far they should be coming to, uh, to, into Russia's business, for th- this to come to blows as it has, and then to have any kind of conclusion, then be followed up by the very same corporate forces going on in there to rebuild Ukraine is just something that is 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 an incredible thought. Because what are you what are you building toward another war? How do you get definitive with this? So as I said, I think it's going to be incredibly interesting if we don't all don't go up and smoke because they're willing to sacrifice a hell of a lot of us too. It'll be very interesting to see how Ukraine gets rebuilt and who wins those contracts and what Russia is willing to put up with still being at its southern border. And I think that Noor Noor is very wise and just uh, playing observer as well. So when when she acknowledged that Putin has been within those circles and had those associations coming up and, you know, in those, in that kind of WEF stratosphere, then uh, I, I thought that was, that was pretty wise of her. But other than that, what we're watching right now is any, Russia is acting in, a, in any way that a nation in its position should act if that was going on on its border. Many people have said it before. If, if China was in Mexico doing what we were doing in Ukraine, you best believe something else is going on there. Something else, there'd be a lot more hot action at the border. So, um, but the afterwards is where I think the rubber will really meet the road. Because, yeah, uh, this has been nothing but a tre- another tremendous transfer of wealth. Tremendous. Untold billions. We, we can only account for what we know untold billions so um so yeah all right 
I'm going to take one more call. Uh, one, jeez, darn it. They both, let me see here. Hold on. Damn, they're jumping all around. Eric, you're on the air. Hey, Frank. What's well, good? I guess, uh, guess the pseudonyms are no longer in play then, huh? Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know who this used to be. I don't know. Is it? Um, uh, so, so, uh, I used to call in as Voivode. Oh, oh, well, it's been a long, a long time. Welcome. Yeah, most of the time I'm at work uh, this time of day, but uh, I had one thing after another go wrong with my car since January, and it just just about wrapped up um, last week. But, um, you know, the air conditioner wasn't working, and that's under warranty, so I'm getting that done now. Very sorry so. to hear all that. Very sorry to hear all that. Well, um, I mean, it's just about over, and things are looking up now. And so after that's done, I'm, I'm like on a mini vacation right now since I don't have a car. And so um, once that's done, I'm going to start looking for a new job. And things uh, hopefully in my part of the world will be looking up. Well, how can, um, as far as tonight's show goes, Eric, how, how I, always, yeah. I always wish the best for you. But how is, uh, what are you thinking about tonight's show? Well, uh, there was something that, that, uh, Noor brought up that I wanted to touch on a little bit, uh, and it was more on uh, what she brought up earlier in the show with Elon Musk and, um, you know, how he wants to turn Twitter into an everything app, right? Mm-hmm. And I think there was another app like that known as, I think it's like WhatsApp, maybe. It's uh, popular in China or something like that. I'm not sure. That's It's been a long time since I've seen it. It's not like, uh, so I think that's what it is, but the idea is that you can go into this app and you can, you know, make phone calls. You can use it. There's a, it has a map. Um, you can, you know, obviously if it, if, it, if Twitter's trying to do this, you have all the features Twitter already has, um, plus messaging. Um, and so, uh, I wanted to bring that up because he's also behind, um, Neuralink, right? Yes, yeah. So if if you're saying that there is a uh, there is a, a a great possibility that one day the Everything app will uh, will be a a major driver through the through uh, through which Neuralink allows a person to just dial up one thing or another with a thought or a blink or something like that. Uh, point taken. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're seeing a lot of these things kind of. Uh, emerge and converge. Uh, I, I mean, we, I think most of the most of the talk about AI and the singularity that we've seen at the World Government Summit and elsewhere hasn't even included right. the mention of Neuralink at this point. They're just talking about metaverse and other things that they're working on. So again, there's a lot of competition in those fields, and um, and especially somebody who has been so well funded by governmental um, uh, forces like Elon Musk over the years. They they should be looked point. at with a skeptical eye, for sure. Anything else you got, uh, Eric? Well, uh, I just wanted to talk about that and what Neuralink, because I've actually thought about how, you know, what the um, the final iteration of Neuralink could look like. Have you ever uh, have you ever seen um, the movie Ghost in the Shell? Uh, no. Okay. Uh, it's it's the movie that inspired the Matrix. And I don't think this, like, that's the final iteration that it would look like. Um, but in that, uh, in that sci-fi cyberpunk uh, world, 
you have these people who have you know augmentations in, in cybernetics and uh there was a spin-off series uh called standalone complex and in that well it, it follows um like a, a swat team in japan like a, a special okay. forces police force uh, eric I'm, I'm i'm sorry but i'm uh, we, i you, you gotta you, you gotta get to get to the the point here it's, it's a cybernetic okay. you're talking about this the, the marrying of of man and machine and how it's right, going to marrying a man and machine and in that one you could like if you're good in that hacker you could basically puppeteer people what i think might happen um, is if you've got uh, a link, uh, an internal link to the internet, and then you have someone else also get linked into this, then you can then see through their eyes. Um, you can feel what they're feeling. You can understand what their thoughts are without the need of language. And if you have that across a major swath of humanity, then you have the potential of, of bringing forth like something new as you and I are um, beings that are made up of individual cells. Well, you're, you're what you have, you're, and, and uh, you, what you're talking about, and thank you for the call. I'm sorry. I have to move on. Um, you're talking about is a, a, a network. You have now networked human beings together. And yeah, uh, that's another thing that we saw in one of those latest, um, those latest conferences over there is uh, the ability for employers to read the brain waves of some of their employees to try to figure out who's been doing what, who's happy, who's uh, who's hiding something. It's it, it's worse than Minority Report with pre-crime. It is again when you're taking people out of their element and putting them into the cyber world, then you are networking them. That's what the Internet of Things is all about. It's not just that your refrigerator, your ice cube maker is going to have its own IP address. It's that you are part of that network. You're feeding it with your thoughts. You're feeding it uh, with everything, but you're also, there's nothing to hide. You can be tapped into. Tapped into, people can see through your eyes, whatever it is. It is a, it sounds like a waking nightmare. And we've definitely explored that rabbit hole a few times. So I appreciate it. And that's definitely ties into the biggest themes of tonight's show with what is constantly being reintroduced to us in new forms through the who and else elsewhere so i um keep the brain ticking and know a scam when it comes your way all right that's all i have for you tonight ladies and gentlemen uh not too short of a show we're only cutting it off by 15 minutes but still i'm looking forward to tomorrow i don't know what wednesday night is going to bring I don't know what hump day is going to bring us, but it'll be good. And I hope you're all here for the ride at 7 o'clock p.m. And that's uh, that's all I have for you. So thank you to everybody over there on Rumble. Thank you to everybody on Theta, on QuiteFrankly.tv, on Rockfin, Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, DLive, and beyond. We will see you tomorrow Email me anytime. Become a sponsor of the show. If you like this, you want to see more of it, I'm settling in for the long haul, and I would love for you to be a boss. Thank you so much. Take care. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience. And now our super chatters, starting with Youper Viking, Ken McNeil, Maddie Nice, 
and all of our friends on QuiteFrankly.tv. Homegoy says, can you mention an RIP to Axe Truth? He was a streamer here on Foxhole and Pilled. I'm so sorry to hear that anybody has passed away. Um, RIP to Axe Truth. I'll go look into that. Thank you, Homegoy. And thank everybody else. We will see you tomorrow.